1 Corinthians chapter 6. This morning, pastor is going to preach a message entitled, Rights, Wrongs, and Righteousness. Rights, Wrong, and Righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. When you find your place, will you stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to be judged to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified." But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we come to the time of the preaching of your word, may, you, may your spirit move. Lord, may you fill Pastor Holmes with your power, with your word. Lord, may we see you. May we listen to you. May we obey you today. And Lord, change us and mold us. Lord, we are the clay and you are the potter. Lord, I pray that we will become more like your son today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Charles. So we are going verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings this year. It goes with our, our theme for the year. Church, what's our theme for the year? Church matters, and so we are preaching through this book line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and this morning we happen upon the first half of 1 Corinthians 6. Church, may we never forget the simple reality that church does matter, that corporately we as a church, we have a mission that we have to fulfill, and that is till all have heard of the love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, till every creature has heard that Jesus saves. Church, we have a mission to fulfill. There is no mission as important as the church's mission. Not only do we have a mission to fulfill, but we have a master to represent. The world needs to be able to see Jesus in us. Church matters. Church matters. 
But we're finding, as we go through 1 Corinthians, that the church also has matters that it has to deal with. There are no perfect churches. Do you know why? Because the problem with churches is they're made up of people. And there are no perfect people. Therefore, if churches are made up of imperfect people, it stands to reason that churches will not be perfect either. You're not going to find one in the city of Clyde. You're not going to find one in Sandusky County. You're not going to find one on planet Earth. You're also, if you look through the pages of Scripture, you're not going to find one in the Bible either. You know, that's encouraging to me. Even back then, they had problems. And you know what I find? I find man hadn't really changed all that much. And the problems they had back then are the problems we have today. And that statement, that all churches have problems, is not meant to frustrate us, to help, but to help provide facts that, that frame us as we grow together. And I think the church of Corinth is especially helpful here because of all the churches we find in Scripture. Buddy, these guys had problems. Problems upon problems. But the Bible not only gives us examples of the many problems they have, the Bible also provides us with the proper way to address them. So last week, chapter 5, we looked at the reality of when sin gets in, and we considered together what our response should be when a person chooses to violate God's will and God's word in an open, ongoing, unrepentant way. We have a responsibility to deal with sin. Church, we have a responsibility to deal with sin. And so last week, Paul did. He told us what we need to do When we come across a person who chooses to live in violation of God's will and God's word in an open, ongoing, unrepentant way. But today, we're going to shift a little bit. Now it's not so much when somebody chooses to violate God's word. Today, we're going to consider what we ought to do when a brother or sister chooses to violate me. We're going to talk about rights, wrongs, and righteousness. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 6, we'll begin in verse number 1. Paul says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Roman numeral 1 this morning, if you're taking notes, see this, see the selfish conflicts. When we look at the church of Corinth, we see some selfish, shallow, fleshly conflicts. Now, this church, we already knew that this church struggled to get along. We saw very early on that this church had a lot of division in it. But the issues of this church, it goes deeper than cliques. They had open conflict one with another. And as the Corinthian believers would have issues one with another, apparently uh, they would sue one another and drag one another before the courts of the world. Now, the culture in that day was a very sue-happy or uh, a litigation-happy culture. By the way, so was ours. Man really hadn't changed all that much. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I was in a car accident. It was not my fault. I cannot tell you how many next-day mailers I got from law firms wanting me to retain their help. didn't matter that I wasn't hurt. Didn't matter that everything was kind of working out down the line. No, they wanted me to know that they had seen a copy of that police report. Many of them sent a copy of the real police report in the overnight mail. And said they'd be happy to represent my cause. We got mail starting the next day. We got it for weeks. It's a pretty sue-happy culture we live in. 
You see them little clips on, uh, on TV? You know, if you've ever taken this medication, which is just about any medication, and you've ever experienced any side effects, you could have a case. This is a non-attorney spokesperson, but call us. And we'd be happy to add, add you to our class action lawsuit. I saw one the other day, and it blew my mind. It was this. Preacher, it was it, basically the commercial went, have you ever been on Facebook or social media and felt bad about yourself? <laughs> call us today. We'd be happy to consider your lawsuit against Facebook or Instagram. I'm, I'm, it's the world we live in. It's the world they lived in. And that culture, remember, the problem is not that the ship is in the water. The problem comes when the water gets in the ship. And so the problem is not that the church is in the world. We need to be in the world to reach the world. If we're not in the world, how are they going to see Jesus in us? How are they going to hear the good news? The problem is not that the, world, the church is in the world. The problem comes when the world gets in the church. And at Corinth here, the culture of suing and litigation and, and taking these, these matters that they had between one another and dragging one another before courts of law, it was a real problem. You know, the issue here is that there was a culture focused not on what was right, but on their individual rights. By the way, if that's not America, 2023, I don't know what is. I have my rights. The culture, then and now, is consumed with self and consumed with stuff, but Christians should be different. Paul basically starts here in chapter 6. He says, dare any of you? It's a strong statement. I mean, it, it, you almost might even, how dare any of you? You see, the issue is not whether or not we have issue with one another. We can't always escape that. People plus personalities equal problems. And my personality won't always jive with yours. And yours won't always jive with the person next to you. We're going to see things differently, experience things differently. We're going to come at things differently. But though people plus personalities always equal problems, and we might not always be able to avoid issues, it's not whether or not we have them, but rather it's how we handle them. And what we see in verse 1, Paul says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before saints? The principle here is clear. The secular court or the culture is not the place for the church to air her dirty laundry or settle her selfish disputes. <coughs> now let me give you a couple points of application. People, you got, we seem to like that last week when I did that. We'll try it again this week, see how it goes. Consider with me, first of all, uh, and this is an important point of clarification, that this specifically refers to civil matters, not criminal matters. What Paul is talking about here is somebody who is being sued. Maybe it was a business contract gone awry. Uh, maybe somebody backed into somebody else's car. It happens from time to time, uh, especially if you don't have backup cameras and stuff. If you do, I guess you don't have an excuse. But, uh, uh, I'm sorry, backed into somebody else's chariot. Uh, and uh, you've got... What we're dealing with here is we are dealing with civil matters, not criminal matters. Criminal matters belong not to the church, but to the state. Criminals need to be punished, period. Whether they are part of a church or not, criminals need to be punished. Romans 13, Paul makes this very clear. Look with me at these first four verses. Paul says, let every soul, he's talking here about civil government. 
Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. By the way, his, his government, the government of Rome, was far more corrupt than anything you or I have ever experienced. You think you have it bad. Our government doesn't hold a candle to the Roman Empire. And their insane corruptness. He says, yet let every soul be subject to the higher powers. There is no power, there is no authority but of God. And the authority that be, they are ordained of God. He said, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or destruction. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then uh, not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Look what he says in verse 4. For he, speaking of the government, is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. I'll make this statement. This passage has sometimes been abused by people trying to keep things in the church that have no business being kept in the church. If you break the law, it is not our job to discipline. It is the government's job to discipline. And I promise you, if it is brought to my... And I have. I have called the authorities before, and I will do it again. Because we don't cover up criminal activity here at Harvest. Period. 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 And so when we talk about this, I think it's important to understand the distinction between civil matters, lawsuits, and criminal matters. But I think it's also important, Paul is beginning to lay the groundwork here, number two, that the Christian life is a different life. That Jesus changes everything. And we don't handle things like the world handles things. This life is no longer about me first. It's no longer about my rights. It's no longer about my wants. no longer about my wishes. Christianity is not the genie in the bottle to give me the life I always wanted. It's not about me. It's about Him. To the point where whether I eat or drink or whatsoever I do, I should do it to the glory of God. Not to the fulfillment of self, but to the glory of God. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, verse 33. He said, Seek ye First, the kingdom of God. Not your kingdom, his kingdom. Not your will, his will. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You look at Luke chapter 14. Jesus said this, If any man come unto me and hate not, this is not meaning to despise, but it's a comparative term, meaning to love less. If any man come unto me and, and basically uh, loves uh, me less or loves his father, mother, or wife, or children, brother, and sisters, his own life more than me, what did Jesus say? He cannot be my disciple. You see, the Christian life is not like everybody else's life. The Christian life is about following Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And I'm going to tell you, that includes, that includes how we view and how we deal with my rights. That, that includes how we deal with the wrongs that are done to me. This life is no longer about me first. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find a me first church will never reach a me first world. A me-first marriage will never be a godly marriage. 
A me first family will never be a godly family. A me first church will never be an impactful church. The Christian life is a different life. So Paul starts by calling attention to the selfish conflicts taking place in the church. And he addresses it, number two, by pointing them to their superior calling. He points them to their superior calling. Look with me beginning in verse number two. He said, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that, that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. He said, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? And so Paul here, in helping to address the issue of selfish conflict, he points them to a superior calling. Now I want you to notice what he does. Paul calls them to look beyond the damage they have received and look to the destiny they have been promised. Did you see? He, he's making an argument here from the greater to the lesser. He says that Christians or saints will judge the weightiest of things. We will be a part of judging the world. We, we will even be a part of judging angels. He said, if we're going to, in, in essence, you go to the book of Revelation and you go to eschatology, we get to sit on the jury while, while Judge Jesus tries the case. But we're going to be a part of judging the world. We're going to be a part of judging angels. Here's the thing. He, he looks at these guys and says, guys, listen. One day, you're going to sit in judgment with the Lord, even over the angels. And you can't figure out how to handle the fact that he backed into your chariot today? You, you're you're going you're gonna to help to handle judging the world. And you can't, you can't figure out how to settle this little business dispute? He's arguing from the greater to the lesser. That if we are counted worthy to help judge eternal things, how in the world are we incapable of possessing the discernment necessary to judge earthly, everyday things? Remember, this church considered herself gifted. This church considered herself rich and wisdom. This being the case, Paul is saying, surely even the least esteemed person could settle the civil dispute between them. I think there's almost sarcasm here. From the Apostle Paul. He said, honestly guys, in comparison to what you're called to, the matter before you is so menial. He said, I'm going I'm to tell you how to solve it. I want you to go to church and I want you to find the least esteemed person there. The least esteemed person. I got to thinking, who would that be? I'd pick some teenagers, right? I mean, teenagers don't care. They would be like, oh, that's cool. Like, if I picked you, you'd get all offended by it. I'm not, I'm not the least esteemed. But if I picked teenagers, they'd think it was cool. 
So we've got some teenagers getting ready to go through the new members class. Uh, David Westcott, I need you. Gideon, I'll take you. Where's Grayson? Grayson, I'll take you. No, Gideon, I need a girl. It can't be all guys. That'd be, that'd be wrong. We're going to have a tribunal here. One of the Huffman girls want to help? Thanks. Any, meeny, miny, Come on, come on, come on. One of you. One of you. One of you. One. Yeah, come on. You've been picked. Let's go. No? No? You. Take them both. Come on. Then we need a fifth. Gideon, you're back in. Let's go. So here we go, guys. I'm going to put you up front. So here's what we're going to do. Mark it down. Deacons will put it in the agenda next time, all right? The next time you can't figure it out, we're going to bring your dispute before the tribunal of wisdom. And we're going to let you decide the matters of the church. How does that sound? How do you vote? John... John has a shiny chariot. He's very proud of his shiny chariot. Eric dinged it with his chariot door. How, how fines you? Guilty, not guilty? Damages? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Guys, as a church, we're going to be a part of judging angels one day. And this Petty, everyday, blah, 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 bickering and stuff. Paul says, if you can't figure it out, here's what you do. You find some people. You guys are all right with least esteem, right? I mean, you're youngest and you're just getting started. And we're going to let them decide. We're going to let you decide it all. How does that sound? Sound good to you? Awesome. Sound good to you? Some of you are like, yeah, until it's your chariot, right? Here's the reality, though. You know what Paul's saying in a very backhanded way? He's saying we probably wouldn't put, we'll, we'll bring it to this now, we probably wouldn't allow teenagers to, to, to settle matters like that, right? But here's the reality. You ought to be able to figure it out. It ought not come to this. You ought to be able to figure it out. Thank you, guys. Our tribunal, we've got them. we got you on record. And we've got you in waiting if we ever need you. Amen and amen. But Paul says, look, guys. He said, if you can't figure it out, he said, find those that are least esteemed. You see that in verse number four? Who are the least esteemed in the church and set them to judge. Paul was saying, look, church. As Christians and as a church, we are capable of handling our business. And it is an unfit thing to take the business of the church and the business of Christians and to drag it before a secular court. Paul admonishes them to look beyond their damage and look to their destiny. He admonishes them that we have a superior calling that includes a superior standing and superior standards. Think about it this way. The standard the world uses to deal with one another, they are very different from the standard which Christ calls us to interact with one another on. Is it warm in here to anybody else? I'm cooking. I'm cooking. All right. I saw somebody fanning themselves, and so that was all the, uh, all the excuse I needed. And I may have misread that, but I don't care because I'm getting some air conditioning. And uh, it be good. Amen. How many of us recognize when we look at the Bible, the way that Christians are called to treat one another is very different from the way the world treats one another? 
It's very different. Think about this. The goals are incompatible. When you drag somebody to court, what's the goal? What's the goal when you drag somebody to court in a civil way? I'm going to win big, right? Maybe we're upgrading. I'm going to win big. Let me ask you, is winning big the goal of the Christian or the church? No, what is the goal of the Christian and the church? It's lifting up Jesus. It's building up one another. It's not winning big. The goals are incompatible. The motivations are incompatible. Uh, the goal of dragging someone to court in a civil way is, is self and is stuff. And uh, the motivations of Christians as we interact with one another are to be love and grace. The reality is that disputes, disagreements, even matters of discipline are to be handled differently in the church than the culture. Because we have a superior calling. Let me give you a couple of points of application here. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, number one, that the testimony of Christ is far more valuable than anything you or I possess. Or anything that you or I could be dispossessed of. The testimony of Christ is far more valuable than anything you or I possess or could be dispossessed of. And you know what we don't do? We don't throw away the greater because we have suffered loss with that which is lesser. The testimony of Christ before the lost world is greater than the material loss or damage you might have personally suffered. And we do not throw away the more valuable, the greater, because we have suffered loss with the lesser. We should, Paul says, rather take the loss, take the wrong... Suffer yourselves to be defrauded. We should rather take the loss than allow the name of Christ to be dragged through the mud before the world. In other words, let me give you a practical here. We are, hold, we are to hold to Him tightly and hold to stuff loosely. What did Paul write to Timothy? Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. How many of us have food? No, I don't think anybody's fridge is bare. We all have food. It may not be the food we always want, but we all have food. How many of us have raiment, clothing, covering, shelter? And none of you naked this morning. Therefore, yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. That's a good spot for it. Therefore, every one of us from a biblical standpoint should be what? Should be content. Should be content. Come what may. Biblically, if I have food and I have covering, I ought to be content. Period. And so I hold to the Savior tightly and I hold to stuff loosely. The testimony of Christ is far more valuable than anything you or I personally possess. Let me give you another thought here. There is a right way for Christians to handle when they have been wronged. There is a right way, a biblical way for Christians to handle when they have been wronged. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? He told us what? To turn the other cheek. In other words, if you can, get over it. <laughs> Just get over it and move on. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes things have to be addressed. 
So how do we address them? Well, Jesus gave us recourse for that in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15, he said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, do what? Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. In other words, how do I deal with being wrong? Well, first, I need to go personally and privately. And if I can't do that, maybe, maybe I, I need to get and go p- with the pastor or somebody, a uh, mature Christian. And if they don't hear that, then the third and the final public or outward way to deal with it is to deal with it publicly. Personally, pastorally, publicly. Here's the thing. If you bring something to me, my first question is always going to be, have you gone personally? Because if, if you haven't gone personally, well, then we're kind of jumping the gun. There is a right way for Christians to handle when they have been wronged. Outwardly, we look to Matthew 18 and how we address the offender personally, pastorally, and publicly. But inwardly, church, no matter how Matthew 18 goes, ours is a law of love. Meaning, no matter what happens when we address it out here, there is one thing that ought to happen in here. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 31. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Uh-oh, what's that word, church? Oh, what's that word, church? What's that word, church? No, help me with it. What's that word, church? Because I don't know if you're like me, you struggle with it at times. What's that word, church? Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, outwardly, what do we do? We deal with it privately, pastorally, publicly, if we have to, if it goes that far. But inwardly, you know what we need to do? We need to address the, the anger, the bitterness, the, the ill feelings that are created in our heart. And we need to put them away from us. You don't get to live in my heart, hate. You don't get to live in my heart, bitterness. You don't get to live in my heart, wrath. Get out of here. And then what do I do? I forgive. And I'm kind to that person. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is, it it, it is release. It is releasing our right to hold judgment over the other. You know what it's doing? And we'll talk about this in a minute. It's turning judgment over to the Lord. Recognizing He is the judge, not me. So outwardly, what do we do? We address it personally, pastorally, publicly, inwardly. What do we do? We, We get rid of the anger, the bitterness, and we forgive. And there's one more for us. And this is, we've seen outwardly, inwardly. There's, this is upwardly or onward. We remember that ours is the highest court. Romans 12, verse 17. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with hmm, all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. See, it belongs to who? It belongs to it belongs to him. You say, well, you know what? He hit my chariot and he won't pay. 
I don't feel like he honored this business contract. I think brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so did me wrong. And you know what? If I allow myself to uh, be defrauded or if I take the wrong, well, they're just getting away with it. And I can't have them get away with it. They're not getting away with nothing. We, we, we don't drag them before the court of man, but I promise you there is a judge in heaven. And he keeps a perfect set of books. And won't anyone escape his perfect judgment? And so the reality is this. No one is getting away with anything. But there is a right way for Christians to handle when they have been wronged. We address it outwardly. We forgive it inwardly. And then we release it to the Lord that we can move onward. We have, church, a superior calling. I want you to see how Paul brings this to a close here. He, he mentions here the selfish conflicts. He talks about the superior calling. But I want you to see how he kind of moves this section here. Look with me at verse number 8. So, verse number 7, rather than taking the wrong and ra- rather than allowing themselves to be defrauded, do you know what they do? He said, verse number 8, no, nay, you do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. He said, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not <laughs> deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to read verse 11 in unison together with me. Look what it says. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. After pointing out the selfish conflicts that they were experiencing and pointing them to their superior calling, Paul drives the point home by bringing them back to their settled character in Christ. He drives the point home by declaring the fundamental difference between Christians and the world is simply this, that Jesus changes everything. That when you put your faith in Christ for forgiveness and salvation, Jesus changes everything. You are born again. You are a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you put your faith in Christ, you have a new family. You have a new standing. You have a new destiny. Romans 8 and verse number 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we might also be glorified together. When Jesus moves in, everything changes. And Paul points out the settled character of a Christian in Christ. He is a new creature. And I want to make a statement this morning, and I want, I want it to be clear. Paul is pointing out that salvation, which is great enough to change your eternal home, is surely great enough to change your everyday habits. If it's not great enough to change your everyday habits, then I'd take note because it probably hadn't changed your eternal home either. A life characterized by habitual sin 
is characteristic of the unsaved world. 1 John chapter 3, John lays this out pretty neatly. He says, Know ye not that he, this is Jesus, was manifested or made known to do what? To take away our what, church? Take away our sin. So, so he, was, he came to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So therefore, whosoever abideth in him, hear me, whosoever abideth in him, he came to do what? To take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So if we abide in him, it makes sense that whoso abideth in him, what? Sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now this is not talking about sinless perfection. This is talking about a a lifestyle of, of habitual sin. We as Christians, we don't become sinless, but we certainly do sin less when the Holy Spirit moves in. And that ought to be our progression day to day. Verse number 7, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth or, or liveth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Simply put, a life characterized by habitual sin is characteristic of the unsaved. That's not who we are if we are Christians. You know, Paul gives some examples here. Some of these examples make us maybe a little bit uneasy. But he points out that sexual and selfish sin is characteristic of the unregenerate, lost, hell-bound sinner. These are the types that do not inherit the kingdom of God. And most of these are pretty easily understood. Fornicators is, uh, fornication is any sort of sexual impropriety be it premarital sexual activity, uh, extramarital sexual activity, uh, pornography, any sort of sexual uh, impropriety. By the way, uh, what is the biblical sexual ethic? It is one biological man and one biological woman in monogamous relationship until death do they part. That is the only thing that is ordained of God. And so we have fornicators, idolaters. These are people who who worship uh, things above God. By the way, covetousness is idolatry. When we love things and want things, we are putting them in the place of God. We have fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. That's easy enough. Nor effeminate. Effeminate, it's literally a word that means soft. Had a couple of... uh, Meanings back in the back in that day, uh, it was often a term that was used to refer to a boy or or a minor that was kept for uh, sex by an adult. It could also refer to a male homosexual prostitute, abusers of themselves with mankind. It's homosexuality, idolaters, thieves, revilers, those that are angry, abusive, hateful, extortioners. These, the Bible says, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What do you mean, preacher? I mean that the Bible is clear that if this is your nature, if this is what you do, that is not the nature of a Christian. If I, if I described to you an organism, if I described to you a thing that, that lived in trees, liked to eat bananas, and when agitated, sometimes flung its feces... 
what would you say I was describing? A monkey. Now, technically, Jeremy Bowling could do that. <laughs> technically, Jeremy Bowling could choose to go live in a tree and, and eat a lot of bananas and some of those other things that I aforementioned. <laughs> technically, he could choose to do that, right? But you would say, no, 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 no. That's not normal. That's not natural. Something is terribly, terribly wrong there. It would be terribly, terribly wrong, Jeremy. Please don't. You know, that's the Bible saying. The Bible is saying that these things that were mentioned, fornication, idolatry, adultery, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetousness, drunkards, revilers. Remember last week, Paul mentioned uh, a lot of these same things, railers, extortioners, things of that nature. This is the nature of the lost world. I'm hearing more and more people saying, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I do all these things, and I just, have a, I just have a unique relationship with God. No, 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 no. 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 That's not, that, that, that is not natural. That is not normal. That is not the nature of the Christian, period. Jeremy would be miserable living in a tree eating bananas, terrorizing people that walked by. He would be miserable. He'd be out of his mind. He'd be crazy. It would be so far from the norm, somebody would probably call the authorities. <coughs> somebody would definitely call the authorities, Jeremy. <laughs> Paul says, don't be deceived. If this is your nature, this is not the nature of a saved person. And can I in love, can I in love tell you today, if you can live in sin without conviction and without care, chances are you are not a Christian and you need to get saved. I don't want you to deceive yourself and die and go to hell. You need to get saved. A life characterized by habitual sin is characteristic of the unredeemed. But Paul, he, he's not wanting us so much to dwell on, on what we were. Paul is pointing out that Jesus comes in and makes a radical change. And that radical change leads to radical change. Radical change often leads to radical choices. So much so that in this context, I would rather take the wrong, I would rather allow myself to be defrauded, that the name of Christ not be held in contempt what we do in other words rises from who we are our do comes from our who Christian your identity is so important you know I was talking about this with somebody just last week you, you heard of a thing in, in economics called a poverty mindset kind of a dangerous phenomenon it's, it's the idea that, that, that you, you believe you are poor and you believe you are poor, so you live like you are poor, even though you might not be. I think one of the most striking examples was a lady by the name in the last century by the name of Hetty Green. When she died, she had an estate of over $100 million to her name. But she ate cold oatmeal every night because it cost money to heat it up. She spent so much time looking for a free clinic for her son that her son lost his leg. She lived like she was poor 
when she was actually very rich. And there's a poverty mindset in the world today. Well, I'm poor, so I can't give. Or I'm poor, so I can't, I can't, I can't. But I'm going to tell you, even more dangerous than a poverty mindset economically is a mindset of spiritual poverty. Hear me, Christian. If you are a born-again child of God, you are not what you once were. You are not what you once were. You are washed by the blood of Jesus. You are sanctified, set apart by God for God. You are justified. God took you in a legal sense and He said, This one, not guilty. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. You are a son and daughter of the King. You are a joint heir with Christ. You have been given God's inspired word. You are an heir of so many promises. I'm going to tell you, there's so many Christians out there who live like, oh, I'm just, I'm just struggling along and I, I'll never do it and I'll never grow. And oh, it's just, so, it's just so hard. And oh, you live so spiritually poor, but you're not. You're, you are not what you once were. 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 Why? Let me give you a couple of points of application, then we're done. Number one, Jesus changes everything. If you haven't picked up on it by now, pick up on it. Jesus changes everything. He washes us white as snow. He empowers us. He equips us. He pours His grace upon us. He doesn't hold our past against us. I love that, don't you? He doesn't hold our past against us. You might hold your past against yourself. Others might hold your past against you, but Jesus does does not. When Peter fell walking on water, he said, Lord, save me. What did the Lord do? Immediately, the Bible says he picked him up. He didn't say, are you sure, Peter? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? Peter, you've fallen before. You'll probably fall again. I don't know, Peter. What do you want? Huh, huh, huh. He doesn't hold it against us. When Peter denied Christ and the Lord restored him, did, did, did Jesus say, oh, well, what about that time you fell walking on water? What about that time you, you rebuked me for, for needing to go to the cross? No. He doesn't hold our past against us. He washes us. He cleanses us. He, he adopts us. You are not what you once were. Hear me this morning. He invites us to a relationship with Him. Jesus changes everything. But you've got to understand when it comes to a relationship with God, that is not the default setting. We are not born Christians. We choose to receive Christ and become Christians. Jesus changes everything. I'm going to tell you, if you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus, you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that your home is heaven. Receive Him today. Receive Him today. Jesus changes everything. Christian, rely on Him today. Jesus changes everything. Christian, respond to Him today. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. I'm not who I once was. Number two, it's time that we live who we are and not who we were. Church, it is high time that we live who we are and not who we were. Hallelujah, I am not who I once was. Hallelujah, I am not what I will one day be. Devil ever come along and uh, try to remind you about who you are or where you've been? 
When the devil comes along to remind you about where you've been, it's probably just a good practice to remind him where he's going. Church, it is time that we live who we are. You know what? Some of us were some of those things, but we are not any more. And because I'm not, you know what? When I fall down, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get back up because that's not who I am. And I'm going to keep on going. It is time that we live who we are and not who we were. Hear me this morning. It's not that you don't have rights. And it's not that you don't suffer wrong. But simply put, it's that for the child of God, we ought to let Christ and His righteousness frame our response to it all. I don't look about what's most convenient for me. I don't look about what's acceptable in the culture. I look to Jesus and what He would have me do. It's not that you don't have rights, and it's not that wrongs don't hurt. But you know what it is, church? It is the recognition that what we have in Christ is worth so much more. Rights, wrongs, and righteousness. May God help us to live up to who we are in Him. Father, we love you.